Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, it's so good to have you all with us as we are starting a brand new five-week sermon series entitled Brand New, because there's a lot of new things that are happening with us as a church, and uh, I just want to say welcome to all of you at all of our campuses, and maybe if you're kind of new here and you're wondering, what do you mean by all of our campuses? Well, we are a multi-site church, and we have more than, more than one campus, and so what we're going to do is just kind of get us started today um, talking about some of the new things that God is doing in and through this church, is we're going to put a picture of the stage of each of our campuses. It's going to come up on your side screens, and on every one of our campuses, see if you can identify which campus it might be. So feel free to shout it out in your room. So here we go. On the first one, uh, if you said Bluntstown... That is the Bluntstown campus, okay? If you said Chipley, that is our Chipley campus. If you said Mariana, that is our Mariana campus. If you said Wakulla, that is our Wakulla campus. And if you said Fairhope, Alabama, that is our Fairhope campus. And that is how God has answered. Hey, yeah, give it up for Fairhope this morning. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Man, Fairhope, so good to have you guys with us this morning. Uh, we've been praying about this for about two and a half years as a church, and many of you have been wondering, okay, what's happening? And so um, Fairhope is brand new to our church family, and we are so glad to have. So all of our campuses, can we just give it up one more time for Fairhope this morning? Give them a warm welcome this morning. Yeah, good to have you guys. Thank you all so much for going on this journey with us. It's going to be a great journey together. Um, God is just absolutely doing amazing things. And I just want to thank all of you on all of our campuses for having such a big heart as a group of people for reach, for just like, we want to reach our region for Jesus Christ. That's what we're committed to as, as a multi-site church. And so, um, and, and let me just kind of explain a little bit what we mean, because here's what we've discovered as a multi-site church. We can do so much more together. That's really what we've begun to discover, isn't it? That we can do so much more together. And what makes our collection of, of churches or campuses so great is, basically, if you kind of watch it, every Tuesday, basically all of our staff, they come together from every campus in, in some way, whether that's a virtual thing or whether they gather on the campus. And, and basically what we do on Tuesdays is we think collectively. Because we have a lot of geniuses on every one of our campuses. We have a lot of smart people on all of our campuses when it comes to staff roles. And bringing everybody together, it just makes us so much better. But one of the things that we've committed to since we launched our first multi-site campus now eight years ago is this. Is we think collectively, but we act locally. Because see here our goal, our goal is, is to reach every community that we're in with the gospel message of Jesus, Jesus Christ. So what we do is we think collectively, which makes us stronger, it makes us better, because everybody brings their strengths from each campus, and so we're stronger and we're better, but then we act locally, which keeps us focused on the communities that we have churches in. And, and I'm just telling you, God is doing amazing things, and we're absolutely excited because this year, uh, Wakala has just, you know, we've launched our Wakala campus, and, and now Fair Hope, and it's just amazing what God is doing as, as, as he just continues to help us reach our region for Jesus Christ. Now, I just want to give you a few things before we get into the talk, because each week during the series, we're going to kind of give you a few things on the front end to kind of help you understand some new things that are happening as we go into our fall season. Um, but one of the ways that we're working to make it better for all of us over the next few weeks is we're releasing a brand new 
RCC app, okay? And the reason is because now we've got five campuses, and, and we just want to make it better so that we're thinking collectively better and we're acting locally better. So here's how this is going to work. If you already have an iPhone, you can just do an update. Um, your pastor on your campus will tell you when it's ready, and, and you can do an up, update. If you have an Android... You might just need to get an iPhone. I'm just, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. No, here's what will happen. Here's what will happen. If you have an Android, you're just going to have to re-download the app. You have to delete that app off and, and, and download. But your, camp, your campus pastor will tell you how, how to do that. Now, here, here's what this new app is going to do for us, and, and that is this. Whenever you open the app, what will be different is this, is that you will pick the campus that you attend. And what will happen is it will have collective information that we are as a church that organizationally, okay? But then it's going to have things that are specific to your campus. And it's going to help us better live out the value of think collectively and act locally. And let me just go ahead and say this because we've added more campuses if you give through the app, whether you're on any campus, Wakala, Bluntstown, Chipley, Mariana, Fairhope, any of our campuses, what we're going to ask you to do is to update your reoccurring giving through the app or through the website. Your campus pastor will lead you through that as well, and that will get all of our campuses going forward on the same system because as we think collectively, we also act locally, and it just is going to help us so much. Now, one other thing I want to give you. Uh, when you came in, you received talk notes. Uh, they were laying on your seat or inside your worship guide. And um, on the back side of the talk notes, because we try to be very transparent with your generosity to us as a church, you'll see the updated total budget number for all of our campuses has changed. That's the, that's the budget number for all five campuses. The new number is 50000 for all campuses. And you know, that could sound like a lot if you walked in and you thought, wow, that's, that's a lot one campus has to give. That's not. It's, it's all of our campuses coming together. And here's the interesting thing. This is incredible. The giving from all of our campuses basically equals that number anyhow. It's just incredible how generous you are as a group of people. And so we just want to say thank you that this, the thing about it, this year, we, we've launched two campuses We've purchased a shopping center on our Mariana campus because we did not want somebody else to get that and turn it into a garbage dump and, and you know, trash our whole Mariana campus thing. And, and we haven't had to do a capital campaign, and we haven't had to ask you for more money and those kind of things. Just your generosity is taking care of helping us reach our communities for Jesus Christ. We celebrate that together on all of our campuses, all the people who are so generous. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for helping us to help other communities just get the gospel message out, and that's what it's all about. So if you take your talk notes out this morning, we're going to jump right into our talk and um, begin with our series entitled Brand New. Now, just to kind of remind you, as we get started this morning with this series Brand New, um, about 25 years ago, uh, there was a group of about 13 of us guys who met at a restaurant one morning. And we committed to the dream of creating the church. We were, we were at a kind of a pivotal point. We were trying to decide, are we going to close the door to the church or are we going to take the church and do what it should do? And, and we committed that morning to the dream of creating a church that not only church people would feel welcome and, and love to attend, but we also wanted to create a church that people not in church would feel welcome and they would love to attend. And so our goal was to reach the unchurched and to equip the church. 
And to this day, we have never wavered from that goal because we had then, and, and we still have, all of us still have on all of our campuses, we still have family and we have friends who, who don't find the idea of attending a church very appealing. Don't we all have that on all of our campuses? Now, here's what's so interesting. While they resist church, while our friends and our family members resist church, in most cases, here's what we've discovered over this 25 years. Most of the time, our family and friends, they don't resist God. So, so we've just come to believe at the core of our being from day one that it is possible to create a church that church people feel welcome to and they love to attend, and also to create a place that unchurched people, they love to attend, and they feel like that they can belong before they even fully believe. So in order to do that, we spend a lot of time thinking about and, and asking about and trying to better understand why most people, or a lot of our friends and our family, they find church unappealing or they find church resistible. And here's kind of what we discovered as our short answer over these last few years, and that is this. Churches hold on to things that hold us back. Churches hold on to things that hold us back. And here in the South, we know that's certainly true, don't we? That churches hold on to things that hold us back from the things that God has called us to do, that hold us back from clearly communicating and connecting and reaching people that God has called us to reach. And that's why you can like drive through, through any county or any community in our region. And while there are a few exceptions, more times than not, here's kind of what you'll see. You remember this kind of, if you went to Bible school, you might have done this kind of deal. It's like, here's the church and there's the steeple and then open the door and there aren't many committed or consistent people, right? I mean, that, isn't that how it is kind of? That's not how they said it in Bible school, right? But it was like, that, that's kind of how churches become in, in, in our region, and a lot of you who might be kind of new to this church thing or kind of checking out church again, I mean, you, you get what we're saying this morning because this is your story. I mean, some of you, you kind of like grew up in church or you like had this period of your life where you explored going to church, but you gave up on it because of what you experienced at church. And, and if we just sit down and have a conversation, I mean, like you'd give like this long list of reasons why church maybe wasn't your thing or isn't your thing. And, and here's what we want you to understand this morning, especially if you consider yourself a church person, which a lot of us do, and that is this. Most of the things that unchurched people resist about church are the things that church should resist. Don't, don't miss this. M most of the things that unchurched people those people who like, they don't consider themselves a church person, the family and friends, what they resist the most about church are the things that we as a church should resist. In other words, what, what drives a person crazy, your friends or your family who consider themselves like, I don't really have anything to do with church. I mean, it should drive us as a church crazy. What, what makes them angry about church? I mean, it should make us angry. What frustrates them about church? I mean, it, it should frustrate us. So what we're going to do for the next five weeks is we're just going to have a real honest conversation about what the church should resist in order to make the church more irresistible to your family and friends who like, I really want to have anything to do with church. So whether you're a church person or, or you're not a church person, what we believe 
is that many of you during this next five weeks, as, as we share this with you, that you're going to be so relieved that somebody finally stood up in church and said kind of maybe what you've always thought. And, and here's our real prayer for this series. Let me just tell you where we're going. Our prayer is that whether you are a Christ follower or you're not a Christ follower, by the end of the series that you'll find yourself wanting to like engage deeper or re-engage in a relationship with Jesus Christ or with his body this thing called the church. Now, why is that so important for us? Here's why. If you study the life of Jesus, one of the most interesting things about the life and the ministry of Jesus is this idea right here, and that is this. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus, and he liked them back. In other words, if you're with us today and and you're not like a follower of Jesus, and maybe you don't even know if you believe in God or you even struggle to kind of like Christians because you had one like treat you really badly. See, here's what we believe as a church. If you could meet Jesus, we are certain that you would like him. And regardless of how you feel about God, here's what we know about Jesus. He would like you back. And, and if we think about that, that, that's probably really different than what most of us think or kind of would expect because here's what you would expect. You would expect the religious types to be the most comfortable around someone like Jesus. I mean, you, you would assume that like the holiest person on the planet would want to spend his time with other holy people. I mean, you would expect God. Wouldn't you expect God to be like with godly people because Jesus was God in human flesh? But if you really study the life and the ministry of Jesus, you go, that's not the case. See, the most ordinary, everyday people, in some cases, the most unholy and ungodly people, they love spending time with Jesus. And here's what may be even more shocking to you. He loved spending time with them too. Matter of fact, here's what's so interesting about this whole thing. Jesus spent so much time with these ungodly, impure people that the religious people of that day, those religious type of people, they accused Jesus of being just like the ungodly, impure people, guilty by association. See, see, they couldn't understand why would Jesus want to hang out with these unholy, ungodly people. And here's why. They were confused about what it meant to be holy. See, see, they thought so like so many church people in 21st century think. They, they thought this, that holy equals apart from. So, so in their minds... The way to earn God's favor was like to separate themselves as much as possible from anything or anyone who wasn't religious. Like, don't hang out with people who aren't holy. In other words, in, in their mind, it was like, we don't want to eat dinner with people who aren't holy. We don't want to shake hands with people who aren't holy. I mean, it's like, if you're not holy, we don't want to hang out with you. And then when you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, Jesus comes along and he does the exact opposite. I mean, he seeks out those who were anything but holy. He accepts invitations to their homes. I mean, he spends time with them. He enjoys spending time. He even invites them to follow him. And don't miss this. 
He wasn't worried for a moment about catching their unholiness. And the religious leaders, the religious type of the day, I mean, they're so confused about that. Because it's like, how can you be God, Jesus? And how can you be holy and not live apart from all those unholy people? But Jesus, through his life and ministry, he defined what it means to be holy very differently. Instead, here's what he said. He said, holy equals engaged with. In other, way, in other words, the way that you are holy as a follower of God is not by like withdrawing from anyone and anything that isn't holy. It's not about isolating yourself from the world. See, it's, it's not like a lot of Christ followers think today or church people think today. It's not like only going to Christian Bible studies and attending Christian cardio classes and, and like doing Christian yoga and shopping at a Christian bookstore and listening to Christian music and only eating Christian chicken because they close on Sundays. That makes some chicken, I guess. And also, if you notice, it makes the calories go way down in a lot of people's minds. You know, everything's just kind of like Christian, 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 because I'm, I'm safe over here in my little Christian bubble. In fact, it's really sad that so many people who call themselves Christ followers, they still think this way even today. I mean, they'll think like, like I'm, I'm going to be holy, and I hope all those unholy people over there, I hope they can figure out how to join us one day and become more holy like the rest of us holy people. And here's what I know. If you're with us on any of our campuses today and, and you're not a church person, I mean, that just drives you nuts about Christians, doesn't it? And you may be excited to know that Jesus showed up and he said to the religious types, he's like, no, 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 you got it all wrong. Holiness, it's not about being apart from. Holiness, it's all about being engaged with. It's not about pushing back from, but it's really about leaning into. See, you got to understand something. Holy people aren't the people with clean hands. They're the ones with clean hearts and dirty hands. See, yeah, you can, you can say that. I mean, you can applaud that. That's, that's for real. I mean, it's, it's, it's the truth. The the ones with clean hearts and dirty hands are the holy people. See, holy people are the ones who move toward the mess. See, this is why people who are nothing like Jesus, they liked him and he liked them back. Because here's the thing. No matter how unholy a person was or ungodly they were, they could all tell that Jesus was for them and more importantly, that he loved them and accepted them no matter who they were or what they had done. And then he confirmed that, and he proved that by dying for all of our sin and rising three days later. And you know what? Because Jesus' heart was for everyone, it was so big for everyone, just before he left this earth to go back to heaven, he gathered his closest followers together, and he told them this. Now, if you're a church person, what we're going to look at next, you've heard. But it is our prayer this morning that you will really hear it from a different perspective. Because just like we're going to see today, a lot of Jesus' followers then didn't get it. 
and a lot of us don't get it now. I want you to notice what he told them because everybody matters to, to Jesus so much. Notice what he said, Matthew 28, verse 19. He says, therefore, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. And, and this statement here, all nations, it literally means everybody, all nations, all ethnic groups. And when Jesus makes this statement to his disciples, these good Jewish followers who had been taught that holiness means to be apart from anyone, like not Jewish, I mean, these guys, they immediately cringe. Because this, this is like a brand new idea. I mean, I'm sure his disciples are sitting there thinking, really? I mean, we, we can't do that. They're not like us. I mean, they eat stuff that we think is unholy. They dress in ways that are unholy. They live in ways that are unholy. They definitely talk in ways that are unholy. They don't even believe in our God. Jesus, we we don't think that we can do this. We think that we'll just stay right here in our little holy huddle. And we know that because of how the church kind of began. See, as the church began in the book of Acts, the message of Jesus, it only spread among the Jews in Jerusalem and around in the surrounding area. Because early on, the church leaders, and it doesn't really happen, they get really convinced until like chapter 10 and that we're going to look at today out of the book of Acts and chapter 15. Because early on, the church leaders weren't really sure who they were for. Early on, the church didn't welcome everybody. And the church... Leaders certainly weren't interested in making disciples of every people group. Matter of fact, um, God kind of had to force their hand to help them be for everybody and to spread the message of Jesus outside of just their little Christian bubble. And, and I just want to say, we should all be grateful because of what they did. Because if Jesus hadn't kind of forced their hand we Gentiles, we, we might not be here today. I mean, if the disciples had kind of had their way, the message of Jesus could possibly have just stayed a Jewish message for Jewish people. So I want you to notice what God did to kind of force their hand to help them understand, hey, the gospel is for everyone, and, and we need to be for everyone. Look what Luke says. He wrote the book of Acts. Luke says this in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. He tells a story of how God made this happen. He says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the, as the Italian regiment. Now, I don't want you to miss this because Cornelius here, he is a non-Jewish Roman. He, he commands a regiment of about 100 soldiers. So for a Jew, he, he's the enemy. I mean, he's the reason they've kind of lost their freedom to the occupying forces of Rome at that time, which makes what Luke tells us next in the next part of this passage even more surprising to like Jesus' Jewish followers. In fact, here's how Luke goes on and says it. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, here's what all of Luke's readers they just, they understood, but um, maybe we just don't get by kind of looking at it at first glance. See, whenever Luke calls Cornelius a devout and a God-fearing man, basically what he's saying is this, is Cornelius had come to believe in the Jewish God. 
And he's embraced much of Judaism. And in all probability, he probably prayed. Whenever the Jews prayed, he observed like the customs and the rituals that the Jewish people observed. He probably honored the Sabbath day the way that the Jews honored the Sabbath day. So in their culture, the Jewish culture, there were a number of Gentiles who were beginning to do this. And, and, and they were just like described as God-fearing. And the reason they were described as God-fearing is because they had not done what officially need to be done to be converted to Judaism. They hadn't been circumcised. So in the Jewish person's mind, they, they really couldn't be a part of them. So the Jewish Christians, they were excluding Cornelius and the people like him. But here's what's interesting. God didn't. In fact, notice what happens next. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear, which is kind of what you do whenever an angel shows up. And, and then when he got his composure, he goes, what is it, Lord? The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come as a memorial offering before God. Literally, you know, God's been paying attention. And then he tells him, he says, now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanners, whose house is by the sea. Now, notice what happens next. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, you've got to understand what's happening here. So you've got Cornelius in Caesarea, and now, all of a sudden, he's going to send his trusted servants, to Joppa to get Peter. So Joppa is about 33 miles south of Caesarea. And what's happening is God is speaking and working in Cornelius' life. Peter is down here in Joppa, and he's being like this good Jewish guy in his little bubble with his other Jewish Christians, and his world is about to be changed. In fact, Luke tells us that the next day, as these men are kind of like getting near Joppa around noon, God tells Peter, he says, listen, I want you to go with these men. And, and, and contrary to what Peter believes, because God had to show Peter a vision like three times for Peter to really get it, all of a sudden Peter began to realize by this vision that God doesn't see them as unholy or unclean. And this is so different for Peter. Because see, Jew, good Jewish people, they, they never associated with Gentiles. I mean, they didn't eat with them, they didn't work with them, and under no circumstances, as we're going to see in this passage, did they ever go into their homes. But now God is telling Peter, he's like, listen, not only do I want you to go to the Gentiles, but I want you to go to the home of a Roman centurion Gentile, kind of like your enemy. And so Peter does. He gets up, he travels with these guys, he gets to their house. It's kind of like he finally musters up enough courage to kind of step through the front door. And that's where we want to pick up in the story. Notice what happens. While talking with him, literally this is Peter talking to Cornelius. Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, now before we read what he said, I want you to imagine that you're one of these Gentile people that's about to hear what Peter's saying. And, and I want you to think about how you would have reacted. I mean, there is so much in what Peter responds, what Peter says, this idea of I'm holy 
and you're not holy. I mean, there, there's so much of that that just kind of oozes out of this conversation that it's almost rude. I mean, it almost like feels like Peter's, even though he's probably not trying to be a, a jerk. I mean, it's like he just can't help it because Peter has lived his whole life with believing that holy means I stay away from unholy people. I mean, it's so hard for him to let go of. And so Peter's having the struggle, even after what Jesus did for three years of Peter following him in his ministry, and even after what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19. So here's how Peter starts his talk. He said to them, you are well aware that's against our law for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. Literally by the law that I grew up under, I shouldn't even be here right now. I, I shouldn't even be hanging out with you people. I mean, just imagine somebody walking in your house and saying that. I shouldn't even, I really shouldn't even be here, you know, with you people. But he goes on. But God has showed me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. The implication is I've lived my whole life calling you people impure and unclean. And then he goes on. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Well, he did that with God three different times. But when they showed up, then God had kind of convinced him. And then he asked him, he says, may I ask you why you sent for me? I mean, think about this. How would you feel if Peter was talking to you that way the first time he ever steps into your house? Like, hey, I should never be here, you know. I, I've never stepped my foot in the house of one of you impure, unclean kind of people. But God told me to come, so I did. It's kind of like he's going, oh, by the way, like, no pictures, no social media, please. You know, don't let get this back to Jerusalem. You know, the religious guys back in Jerusalem, just kind of keep this quiet. I mean, there's so much tension in this moment. I mean, it just feels so wrong to Peter and maybe even some of the people there. It's like, in Peter's mind, there are us insiders and then there are you outsiders. And they shouldn't mix. It's kind of like he's going, okay, we're here now. Well, notice Cornelius' answer. Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. And it's interesting because all of a sudden he's telling Peter, God was working in me while he was working you. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So Peter's beginning to realize God is working in the Gentiles just like he's working the Jews. So I sent for you immediately. And it was good of you to come, even though you came and kind of insulted us. It's just good of you to come. Now, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. And I want you to notice how Peter starts off his conversation. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. It's kind of like... Peter's going, oh, I get it now. I kinda, I'm starting to get what Jesus was saying when he gathered us all together right before he went back to heaven. He's going, oh, you know, as Jews, we've always believed that we were like God's favorite. I mean, look at how we've lived. I mean, look at how we stayed kind of in our holy huddle, separated from all you unclean people. But he's going, oh, I'm getting it now. Through the vision that God showed me and through this encounter here, how God has been working with you, oh, we've been wrong. Because notice the next few words 
out of his mouth. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation. It's kind of like Peter's going, oh, I remember those words that Jesus said right before he went back to heaven. Therefore, I want you to go and make disciples of every nation. And it's like Peter's going, yeah, Jesus did tell us to go to all the people groups, not just the Jewish people. And then he goes on, the ones who fear him and does what is right. And then Peter kind of goes on and he goes, I'm getting it. So you know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of, and here Peter uses that word again, all. See, see, don't miss this. This, is, this was such a pivotal moment in the early church. I mean, for the first time, it, it's like Peter is actually getting that peace with God. Isn't just for Jewish people. It's for all the people. That forgiveness is not just for good people. It's for all the people. That Jesus didn't come to die just for Jewish people. He died for all the people. Regardless of their gender, regardless of their race, regardless of their sexual struggle, their ethnicity, their wealth, their culture, their language, their vices, their politics, Jesus was for all people. And then when Peter goes, oh, he's for everyone, he then begins to explain from his heart how that he saw Jesus crucified and, and then alive three days later and what that meant for them. And, and these Gentile people, I mean, they begin, they begin to believe and they begin to follow Jesus. And, and Peter does something that he probably never thought he would ever do, and he baptizes them that day without them being circumcised. Because for the first time in his life, he finally gets what Jesus spent three years modeling for him and teaching to all his disciples that holy doesn't mean apart from. Instead, holy is not apart from. Holy is engaged with. That to engage with messy real life is actually like the most holy thing that he can do. Now, here's why this is so important for me so important for you. It's why it's so important for us as a church. Because 2,000 years later, 2,000 years later, we still find religious people, church people, who still struggle with separating themselves apart from those who live differently or behave differently instead of engaging with them. See, we still find church people like over here living in their little Christian bubble and creating church experiences for their own little group and, and kind of viewing outsiders as problems to avoid rather than people to love. But you know what? That's not what Jesus called us to do as followers of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus believed that every person that you ever lock eyes with is, is invited with the same invitation that you were invited with. And you know what that invitation was? It was Jesus' death and resurrection. He paid the price for their sins as much as he did for mine and for yours. In other words, here's what it means. You will never lock eyes with a person who is unfit or unqualified to follow Jesus or to be in a relationship with him or receive forgiveness of him. See, because in Jesus' mind, when he stood there in Matthew with his disciples, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, and said, listen, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. He was literally telling his disciples, listen, everybody is invited. Everybody is included. Everybody is important in my invitation. 
And you know what? Until those of us who call ourselves Christ followers begin to treat people as though this is true, people today are going to continue to wonder if God is for them. Because too many times they clearly understand that those of us who call ourselves his followers, that we're not for them because of our behavior or our attitude toward them. Listen, in our culture, we need a brand change. We, we need a brand new way of seeing people who wouldn't call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. And if you're with us this morning and, and you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, I mean, this is what we hope that you walk away with today. We hope that you walk away with the understanding that we don't want anything from you. We want something for you. We want you to know that you are important to your heavenly father, that he loves you deeply the way that you are, and he has invited you to have a relationship with him, and not just any kind of relationship. He's invited you in touch, to such a personal relationship with him that you can call him father. He wants you to be his child that he loves dearly and deeply, and you call him father. And you can do that because Jesus died and rose again to pay the penalty for your sin. And in just a moment, we're going to help you make that step if you want to make that step today. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, here's what this means for us. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what this practically means for us, and that is this. You can't follow Jesus and live in a holy bubble. You just can't follow Jesus and view holiness as being apart from all of those unholy people because holy means engage with. Holiness means clean heart and dirty hands. It means this. It means you lean relationally in the direction of those different than you. See, if the people that you interact with every day, that you are friends with every day, that you engage with every day are the same as you. If every one of them are the same as you, they believe like you, they behave like you, they look like you, they have the same skin color as you. I mean, like, we've missed it. I mean, we as Christ followers, we should be the first to reach across the divide and say that the invitation of Jesus Christ, it is for everyone. Because the reality is, those people that tend to disgust you or you have a little bit of disdain for, that group of people you find impure or unclean, those people that you ran about on social media, those individuals you hold racist stereotypes toward, those Republicans, those Democrats, those homosexuals, those migrant workers, guess what? They are loved by their Heavenly Father just as much as I am and just as much as you are. And to not have a heart of love for them makes us really terrible Christ followers. In fact, in a few weeks from now, you're, you're going to hear in one of our messages what it practically looks like to choose love. To love like Jesus loved. Because here's the reality that you discover. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible you know. I mean, you're not much of a Christ follower if you don't lean across the divide. And love. And here's what I want to tell you, because it took me years of being a pastor to have the courage to do, to do this. And what I'm going to tell you and understand this, and I tell all our pastors on all of our campuses as, a, as an older guy kind of modeling and leading for you guys, I'm trying to do for you guys what nobody did for me. And, and one of them is to give them this courage to not worry about what church people are going to say 
about you. When you love people that are unholy and impure. Because the reality is, Jesus wasn't worried about guilt by association. I mean, because you think about it. I mean, Jesus knew this, that being found guilty by religious people who misunderstand God's heart for people, that isn't condemning guilt. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we should understand that too. Listen. You can be friends with someone. You can love someone without condoning what they do. See, accepting someone doesn't equal approval of all their behavior. Accepting someone does not mean participating in everything that they're doing. And you go, where do you get that model from? Well, Jesus doesn't approve of everything I do. And Jesus doesn't approve of everything you do. But he loves you unconditionally and accepts you fully anyway. So here's our big question for application today, and that is this. Who do you need to lean in to love? Who, who do you need to show this week that you're for? Who, what, what divide do you need to reach across this week? Who, who do you need to lean in to love? For some of you, that's your neighbor across the street or the neighbor that lives right beside you. But for some of you, it's the person who works in the office beside you or works on the carpenter crew with you or in the whatever other occupation you might have in the classroom with you. Maybe it's a schoolmate that you go to school with on a regular basis. Maybe that's the person. Who's this person that you need to lean in and love? See, as a church, we want our communities to know locally that we are for them. Even if they never come to our church, even if they disagree with our views about God, we are for them. So so to help us to kind of, as a church, together lean in and locally in love, we've started working over the last year to be a lot more intentional about looking for ways to give our time, our talent, and our treasure to partner with the people in our communities to show that we are for them. This is what we call it. We call it for. And as you leave today, we we want you to wrestle with this personal commitment. We we want you to just wrestle with it, saying, God, do do I need to realize like Peter did that you really are for everyone. And we want to invite you to join us. In fact, um, this whole thing of four, we're like trying to put it out into our communities. In fact, uh, when you leave today at all our campuses, if you don't have one of these four stickers to kind of put on the back of your card, back of your car, window of your car, just we want you to get one of these. It'll make you drive better and act more like a Christ follower, okay? Because... (laughs) Because people will know after a while, okay, that's one of the people supposed to be for our community, not cutting us off, you know? But, but really, here's what this does. And also, you received a card on your seat when you came in called for your community, whatever, the, which, whichever county or community that you're in. And, and, and here's why. is we, we want you to pay it backwards throughout. I mean, just continually do this all year long. It's like if you go through a drive through just pay for somebody else's meal behind you and, and leave this card or do a good deed and, and leave this card. And what it does is it creates conversations in our communities where people go, going, what is this for thing? You know, what is this hashtag we are for kind of thing that's going on? And it allows us to say and don't say this don't say this don't say well our church is trying to show people we're for don't do that because as soon as you say the word church unchurched people are done right so all you need to say is listen for too long those of us who are christians have been known for what we're against we're we're just trying to show the world what we're for and that's you 
That's everyone. And I just want to tell you, this is a personal commitment that we challenge all of you to lean into to those people that are around you. And I'm going to tell you, when we all as individual ma- individuals make this commitment together, we can change the way people see the church and why that is important. Because the way that people see the church is going to impact the way they see Jesus. And, and if we do this, you know what we really can do? We can make the church brand in people's minds in our communities. We can make it new. So they won't be as resistant to church. But more importantly, so they'll be more receptive to the gospel message and the love of Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, as we go on this five-week journey together, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will empower all of us to understand how to be for the people that are around us. And God, I pray especially right now that you will speak into the hearts and the minds of the men and the women and the students that are sitting in a 